So join with me, if you will. We're going to jump into the Word of God today, and we're going to look together in John chapter number 5. Now, we've been journeying together with Jesus on through the book of John, and it's been an exciting thing, and we've seen Christ do some amazing things already, and today's no less. It's just, an, it's just a neat uh, thing that God has done. I was reading a story about a, a little boy I, who I was answered the phone when a telemarketer called, and a little boy picked up and said, and the telemarketer said, hello, what's your name? Still whispering, the voice said, Jimmy. Well, how old are you, Jimmy? He said, I'm four. He said, good. Now, is your mother home? Yes, but she's busy. And said, okay, is your father home? He's busy too. And so what about, uh, he said, I said, she, she said, well, who else is there? He said, well, the police. <laughs> oh, well, may I speak with one of them? They're busy. Well, are there any other grown-ups there? He said, firemen. He says, can I speak with the firemen? He says, they're busy too. She says, Jimmy, all those people are in your house, and I can't talk with any of them. What are they doing? Looking for me. <laughs> you know, as I'm, thankful that, I'm thankful we come seeking something, don't we? And as we come to John 5, we find Jesus Christ comes and he's looking for this man. It's almost like he, he has a beeline on this crippled man and he has a desire to meet with this man. Think about, if you will, John chapter 4, he had a desire. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he met with this outcast of society. And what a picture of who we are. I mean, Christ knew he needed to seek out this woman and share with her truth. And then John chapter 5, we see another picture of who we are. Broken, hurting, and in need. And Jesus seeks this man with deliverance and with a de desire to be able to share hope with him and to bring healing. And that's what we look at today. In John chapter 5, I just want to jump into the Word of God with you. In John chapter 5, we're going to read the verse, first 15 verses together, if you will. Join with me there. It says, And after this, there was a, great, uh, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the waters. Uh, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus, when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? What a question to ask. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And then they asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he, he that was healed was not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus finded him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art uh, made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. 
The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. Let's stop together, shall we? Father, we want to pause this morning and just say thank you for the Word of God. Lord, thank you for seeking uh, after us. Uh, Lord, I'm just reminded of even Luke 19.10, as Jesus said, He came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, that was part of His purpose for being here, to seek us. And thank you that as we look at this life of this, uh, this crippled man, Lord, that we see in Him, Lord, the compassion of a wonderful Savior. And so we pray for your help this morning, helping that, uh, Lord, distractions would be uh, set aside. Lord, we'd be able to hear from heaven, and when we do so, Lord, that our hearts would be willing to submit to you. May you, God, help us. We pray these things in the blessed and powerful and wonderful name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we hear, as we begin in John chapter 5, I want to just note a couple of things about this passage because this was a, begins kind of a transitional point in this gospel. From here on out, we see a conflict that begins to arise. And this conflict comes to conclusion at the cross where Jesus was crucified. And you'll see that even in this story today, some conflict began to build between Jesus and the Pharisees and those in the religious context of that time. In chapter 5, the conflict is centered around in urban Jerusalem. But in chapter 6, there's a conflict that is centered in rural Galilee. The conflict in 5 is centered around two challenges. The Lord's challenge to the impotent man. And then followed by the Lord challenges the uh, impenitent man. And that's what we'll see next week. And he, he really goes to the heart of the matter because he is the God not only uh, of, he's not only the healer, but he's the God of the Sabbath because he's the creator of all things. As we began our study in the book of John, I remind you that in John chapter 1, we, uh, we learned of Christ's deity, his eternal, uh, the, the fact that he is the eternally the son of God. He has always been God. He didn't just come into that when he came to this world. He didn't earn that status. He has eternally been God. Now, we take that truth for granted. We're Baptists. We say, amen, that's what, that's what the Bible says. But a lot of people today uh, believe that Jesus became a God. But we see that established John uh, early in this epistle said, listen, or, or gospel. He said, listen, it's important that we realize that Jesus is God. Exclamation point right there if you want to. So we're going to look at three different people here in the narrative today. We're going to look at the multitude and then the man, and then we're going to find, take a final look at the master. And I love Jesus, and I thank the Lord for him. Not only is, my, is he my Savior, but I tell you, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if you don't know what it's like to go through a trial or a valley uh, with, without, uh, with him, then you've missed one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. And so let's join together and let's look in the verses 1 through 4 as we just begin this narrative. And it begins to just to give us a bird's eye view of this multitude that gathered here today. Now, first thing we're going to see is their belief that, that pops up here. And so we see here there was a feast of the Jews that had come. And so there was a couple of things I want to make mention of. And this feast of the Jews is one of the first ones. There was a, a variety of views as to which feast this might mean. Some take it could be the view, feast of, uh, of Passover or Pentecost. One of the attractive views is that this is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, and so this would uh, be a time which heralded the new year. And the Jews believe that on this day, the Lord gave the law to Moses. And on this day, he created the world. How, how pertinent and, uh, that Christ, by performing this miracle on the Feast of Trumpets, he would have been proclaiming that he is Lord over all, including Lord of the Sabbath. But then there's something else that he mentions here in verse number 2. 
It says, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. And it gives us a location, the sheep market. Now, we don't, we don't think much about this. I want to just put a, a shameless plug here for tonight's series. We're going to begin to look at Psalms 23 in a mini-series. And I, I tell you, Psalms 23 is such an exciting thing. And I invite you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock as we see the shepherd uh, that loves his sheep. And it's going to be an exciting journey just through that short chapter there. Lots of truths to unpack. But as we think about sheep, I've never raised a sheep. We had some, uh, some goats once. And those goats were the, the most cantankerous things you've ever seen in your life. Anybody ever raised goats? We had this billy goat that had horns. And he would hit the front of your kneecap, push past it with his horns, and rake the back of your leg. Man, you just want to take a two-by-four to the silly thing. You could do that in Texas. I don't know if you can do that in Missouri. But the reality is that this is, this is maybe a time and an era that we didn't quite understand. You see, sheep were important and vital to their worship. They were important to uh, the culture of, uh, of the Jews. And so this was an area that there was a lot of activity. There was a lot of people coming and going. But in this area, it was a, it was a place that, that John would have remembered because by this time when John wrote, it would have been in ruins. He would have just simply remembered in his mind's eye. Do you remember that pool? Do you remember that time? Do you remember the beauty of that place? Because by this time, as John wrote this, the Romans would have already come and destroyed it all. But as he remembered, he would have remembered the bleeding of the sheep that came through that gate. How sitting there on the poolside, those people would have been able to hear the, the sheep as they were taken from the sheep gate to the sheep market. Now in the book of Nehemiah, he talks about all the different gates around the city of Jerusalem. And here's a map of, uh, of Christ's time. And, and as you see here in that top right corner, you're going to see that just that image of where this pool of Bethsaida would have been. And next to that would have been this sheep gate. And not far from there would have been the temple and the place where they would have had the sheep market, where they would have bought and sold sheep so they could sacrifice in the temple. And so it was a very busy place in this northeast corner of Jerusalem. And it was a place where a uh, place of mercy where people heard the bleeding of the sheep. They knew what they were for. The sheep was important because it signified the remission of sins. And so we see here that this is a place that was very, very important to Jews. Next, we see that this is the pool of Bethsaida. Now, that is translated as house of mercy, Beth being house and, and the remainder of the word being mercy. And so we see a house of mercy. And what an incredible picture of God's mercy that we're given today as Christ comes into this place full of people gathered there and He looks at one man and offers him healing. Sometimes you feel like you get lost in the crowd, don't you? Like there's a multitude of people around you. How could God possibly know me? But yet here is Jesus Christ as He enters into these two this area where the pool, uh, where these two pools are, where all the columns are, are just incredibly, there's, a, there's an artist's rendition of it. Five porches were there and multitudes would have been lounging under there. And then the Bible tells us why they were there. They were waiting for the moving of the waters. They were anticipating this moment when the angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters and it would then, they believed it had a healing effect, maybe uh, similar to uh, to, uh, to like a healing spall or something, only, only something real. And as, he, as he, uh, these people waited for that moving of the water, there was one man in particular who had been sick, who had been maybe paralyzed for 38 years, and he waited by that pool. 
Man, 38 years is a long time. I hit it this week. So it's a long time. Amen. All right. Some of you might, some of you might say, oh, me. But there's something that's happening here in this moment. Because with all that's going on and all the, 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 that's happening in this, in this area, in this place, these waters uh, were a place where people were seeking, they were earnestly looking, the water could heal me. Just maybe possibly if I could get down to the water, then I could be healed in time before someone else. There was a place really full of despair. You ever been to a hospital? Maybe in a nursing home. It's been a year almost. Uh, just very few instances where we've been able to be in the hospital since COVID began. Uh, and we're calling almost weekly trying to find out, can we get in the hospital to visit our folks? But Jesus knew about this place. He knew that the throng of people that were there, he knew that they were needy people. He knew that, that people who uh, were there were looking for healing. People who were maybe had uh, uh, blindness or maybe they were uh, like this man who was an impotent. He couldn't walk. He couldn't even get himself to the edge of the pool. And he knew every person there, all their hopes, all their frustrations, their disappointments. And this multitude really represents humankind today, doesn't it? As humans today, uh, we were, they were, or then they were brought there, they were left there, they were lying at this gate uh, with, of just a dead religion. And so often today, we see people who are just like these, broken. They feel like they're in despair, been abandoned by those that would love them. And they, yet they wait. These people gathered with a purpose, the desire to meet, find the mercy of God. They wanted the mercy of healing, but there's no greater need in this world even now than the healing that Christ provides for our sins. Near to here was where people begged. They begged for mercy, for mercy from God to forgive, this, of them, forgive them of their sins. It was near to here that one day Christ would be offered as the great Lamb of God. Jesus Christ would one day be slain upon a cross, and right there... And we see God's mercy and grace poured out. You know, the reality is we don't find God's mercy in a baptismal tank. We don't find God's mercy in the right church membership. We don't find it in living a good life. And the only place we can find the mercy of God is when we come to the Lamb who was slain on Calvary. There's an old song that says, Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied for me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. You know this song. You remember those lyrics. And as we look at these people, God describes them. And He uses some things in verse number 3. He says, In these lay a great multitude of uh, of impotent folk. And He begins to describe them. He calls them impotent, blind, halt, withered, waiting. And let me just share that impotent means they were without power. Israel had law, but no power to keep it. The sinner knows what is right, but he has no power to live rightly. The blind, they were so blind that they did did not even recognize the Messiah. And today, sinners are blind to to their own sin and their own need of a Savior. They were halt. means they couldn't walk. 
Israel also was lame. They were unwilling to walk in God's way. And we see this time after time again. If you read the book of Judges, it's like a vicious cycle. Man, if you read it, you'll see uh, that Israel trucked along, didn't doing good for a while, and then they slipped into sin, and God sent a judge to deliver them from uh, their captors, and then they repented and got things right, and they started the, the process over and over and over again. And at this point, they just had so crippled the ability for God to work that people were blind leaders of the blind. He describes them as withered. Their hands were paralyzed. They were incapacitated to do any kind of work. And the sinner today, without Jesus Christ, we're withered. And there's nothing that we can do. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousness, all of our good works, the things that we think are so wonderful, he says, are just filthy rags. There is a waiting. They were waiting. They were looking for this promised Messiah. And yet he was right there in their midst. Could you imagine? Maybe their eyes are focused on the pool when right in front of between him and the pool comes the Messiah. And he looks down at this man. We don't know his name. And he looks at this man and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? Instead of moving out, instead of coming to the Messiah, instead of coming to Christ, they are simply waiting for death. This multitude, this multitude was full of different calamities and they suffered as they waited. You know, sometimes life seems to feel like that, doesn't it? We fall into despair and we think, man, I just can't go on any further and I, I just can't do this anymore. And I want to just hang, ask you to hang on with me a little longer because soon we're going to see the Master intervene. And soon we're going to go from this moment of despair, the multitude that says, nobody cares, nobody is here to help me, I can't hardly get to the pool, and we're going to find the hand of the Savior reaches out. Let's look at the man very quickly. Because we go from the big group down to the individual. And I'm thankful that, that God cares about us individually. In verses 5 through 7, we see this care. I love to see children in church. Aren't you grateful for kiddos? I love to hear a baby cry. I love, to, I love it whenever uh, our children are in church and you see them squirming. And you've you got to give mom and dads a lot of grace today. Uh, man, I tell you, as those kids come into church, especially in our Wednesday, uh, Sunday night service, as we have our families all together in worship, which is a time that I love together on Sunday night. And, and the kids are with the moms and the, and the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds are squirming in the pews. And, and boy, it's just you can see the mom or the, and the dad. Sometimes they, they get a little bit anxious as a result. Well, little Johnny, he was not doing well in church one day. And so he whispered to his mom, he says, I think I'm going to throw up. And so she told him, she said, go outside and throw up behind the bushes where nobody can see you. So he bolted out the door, and, and less than a minute later, he returned and took his, took his seat, looked great, and looked much better. And so she asked him, I said, did you make it all the way to the bushes, Johnny? He said, I didn't ask, have to. He says, as I got to the front door, I saw a box that had a sign on it that said, for the sick. We don't have that box in our foyer, so please don't use it. <laughs> Listen, this man had been sick a long time, 38 years he had spent. That's half a lifetime. We can just imagine how hope deferred makes the heart sick, as the Bible says. How his expectations maybe during the first few months of the pool had given way to despair and then acceptance of this dire fate. But one by one with the passing of the years, his friends had left him, his family had forgotten him. He was abandoned, even paralyzed. He said unable to move. He had just become a fixture. People passed by him without ever giving a second look. You ever driven up to the, the red lights in Springfield and there's someone standing there with a sign? 
Do you ever look them in the eye? No, most of the time you look the other way. I don't see you. That's what his life was like. His life was like that. He was like people avoided him with, with everything they could. They just don't make eye contact and maybe it'll, it'll go away. We saw others that were stronger and more agile than he. They were always ahead of him when the waters were troubled. But he clung to his belief in the miraculous healing power of the pool. He thought, this is the only hope I have. How sad that the world today looks at uh, their, their religion or they look at uh, this uh, tarot card or they look at all kinds of different things out there that tries to offer hope and they look at these things and say, well, this is the only hope I have. Let me just say, folks, that today we have a hope, a living hope, a hope that's real, not something made up or fictitious or that will lead you astray because the Lord, the Master, is the one who gives us His Word and we can put our trust in Him. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But when Jesus saw him, He looked at him and He didn't say, do you want to, be, do you, do you want to me to help you to the pool? Did you notice that? Would you look at verse 6? And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been, there, been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? You see, Jesus knew this man. He knew the intricacies of his life. He knew who, what, he, what he was. I'm thankful that though there was a multitude there that day, that God sees us in that moment. God knows all things, doesn't he? God knows your heart. The Bible tells us that He knows the heart of man better than we do. Isaiah, uh, Psalm chapter 30, 139 says that God knows our hearts better than we can ever. God sees us in the blackness of light, in the brightness of midday. You may do something which you try to hide from every human eye, but let me just say this, that God sees. That's a very sobering thought. But here's a comforting thought. When you're in sorrow, when you're in trouble, God sees you then too. You may think that you're just one of the billions. You don't count with God. It's, it doesn't matter. But let me see, as, as Jesus looks, he saw him and knew. He knew him. He knew all about him. He knew his life. He knew that his infirmity, he knew what he needed. He didn't need the pool. He needed the Savior. And that's what he was looking, trying to put him to that day. And, and as we look here today, you may see yourself in an awful situation. And you may feel like you're, you've been abandoned. You may feel like your circumstances are beyond hope. There is nothing that we can, and like life has, has lost all its savor. But there's great comfort in knowing that God sees us. He sees us, and He just doesn't see us, but He cares. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just pass by the man and say, Yep, I know you. Yep, I know you. Yep, I know you. He didn't do that. He stopped. He looked at the man in the eye, and we see compassion. Let's look here with together, shall we? As we look at the Master in verse number 8. He asked him the first question, verse 6, will thou be made whole? In verse 8, he says, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. I'm so thankful that this man was willing to turn uh, his attention from the pool to the Savior. Many people are still focusing on the pool today. The Savior stands in front of them and offers them real life and offers them hope in, in eternity. And he says, will you be made whole? And they said, well, I'm, I'm just counting on my baptism. Well, I'm just counting on this over here, uh, and, and, you know, I'll be fine. There was first in this man a demand of healing. Obviously, he wanted physical healing. And truly, when we go through hardship physically, man, it, it can be consuming, can't it? Cancer, man, that's a scary thing. Or maybe you're going through something uh, that uh, has caused you not to be able to work. COVID has been a scary thing for many. 
people, people's reactions have been so varied with COVID. Some have been like, ah, it's a government conspiracy. Some have been just the opposite. We can't go anywhere or we're going to die. And you say, why in the world are there so many varied responses? And I'll tell you, because it, it re- affects people differently. And so God calls us to give grace to one another during this time. Listen, there may be billions of this world, and you may think God is too busy to give you the attention, but, but you don't, don't, and that maybe you feel like you don't even count with God, but just take time to look to see that Jesus looks and He finds this man and was willing to work in His life. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle today with saying, man, I don't know if God really cares if He hears when I pray. I want you to take your Bible, open it up to 1 Peter 5, 7. I want you to underline that in your Bible, put a bookmark there, and say, I'm going to memorize this so that the next time Satan comes and he tries to discourage me, I can be reminded that God really cares for me. This man, when he was asked what he wanted, was looking at a pool When before him stood the creator of the ends of the earth, it was Jesus Christ who was able to to look out and and, and was the great artisan for all the beauty that we behold today. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? Have you seen that? Have you walked into the woods? My son and I spent a little bit of time in the woods uh, turkey hunting, and, and I'm always amazed by the beauty of what's around us. And as we walked out in there, I would just I just sat there and we started talking about all the great things that God has done. Listen, this man was sitting there looking at the creator of all that we behold. And instead of looking at a pool, Christ said, look at me. Instead of looking for this mysterious thing that maybe comes once in a while, I want you to keep your eyes upon me. This pool may or may not have healed. We don't really know. But this is what we do know is that Jesus Christ is the healer for all man today. You know, this is really the way the whole religious world is divided. Think about it, if you will. There are those that say, well, I want to do it my way. And those are that say, listen, if God created me, then he has a right to say, you're going to do it my way. Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Some say he has done it all. So others say, I must do something. Some say Jesus paid it all. Others say, I must pay my own way to heaven. But here's the reality is that Jesus Christ looked upon this man and he said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. He said, Christ demands him that he exhorts and, and exercises his faith. Instead of taking him to a secular mindset, well, if you look within yourself, you will find what you're looking for. Christ instead says, oh, uh, believe. Believe. He, says, he gives him a couple of commands here. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. These three simple instructions Christ displayed to him. Listen, if you'll obey, you're gonna, and your, your faith is going to make you whole. So he gave him a chance to exercise that. And I'm thankful that he did. And God always heals us. Or let me just say, that God, will God always heal us from our physical infirmities? No. There will be times when God allows these things to continue. But I'm reminded of what Oswald Chambers said. He says, "For uh, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means when I, when, whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. See, the immediate response from this man was just simply obedience. 
His obedience was a demonstration of His great faith. And our obedience to the Lord, when Jesus says, Come unto me, is, is, is that obedience uh, by, uh, is demonstrated by our faith. James says it like this when we talk about faith and works. He says in James 1.17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And of his own will begetting uh, us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. You see, James teaches that, uh, that in, in these that God wants us. There's the wrong verses, by the way. It's chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. But he talks about, in James 2, the reality that we need to, uh, our faith activates is, uh, our works. Let me just read the correct verses. I apologize for that. Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You see, this man was made whole through his faith. Today, you can be made whole through your faith as well. There is a demand, though, of the religious that arrive. In verse number 10, verses, we see the Jews therefore said unto him, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. There arose a conflict here between Christ and those religious people of the time. Those religious rebuked the man uh, who was healed, and they passed by him many times without even noticing. But, but now they saw him breaking one of their, their instructions and their traditions, and they saw him and they rebuked him. Listen, traditions of this world will not save you. The rabbis had uh, taken the word of God and they had taken uh, God's great instruction from Genesis and from Exodus and they had taken it and they added to their own traditions and they had turned Sabbath keeping into a chore. What God had intended for a time of blessing had become a time of burden. There's a, a, a book called the Mishnah. And the rabbis enumerated 39 major categories with hundreds of subcategories of labor that were forbidden based upon uh, the types of work that were related to the construction of the tabernacle. And so they said, listen, these things, all of these different categories, all these different subcategories, you cannot do them. And so instead of focusing on the blessings associated with rest and recovery and focusing on the Lord, they focused instead upon the external. And so often it's easy to get caught up in the external if we're acting right, doing right. you know. But God cares about the inward heart of man. It was obvious to the lame man that one that could heal was of greater authority than those who were simply full of hot air. And so he trusted Jesus. You know, sometimes we can be like these religious people. Our intentions are good. We seek to have some kind of healing uh, and maybe believe that if we found, uh, in, uh, if, we, if we work hard enough, we'll be okay. We, we just attempt it all in our own power and our own ability. But this is the reality that Christ looked at this man. He stopped him and said, listen, no more about the external. Let's deal with the inward heart of man. Wilt thou be made whole? Now demonstrate it by your faith. And there was finally this Forgiveness. I want you to look at verses 12 through 15 with me as we finalize things. As you come to the end, we see the Jews wanted to know who it was that performed this work on the Sabbath. They were focused on that external. In verse 13, and it says, And he that was healed was not who it was. Jesus didn't tell him. There was a multitude in that place. It was almost like a brief conversation. He walked by, looked at him and said, Rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Can you imagine that? Imagine what it must have been like, people pushing and shoving and, and moving around. Maybe his entourage was with him that day. We don't know for sure. But as he walks through that space, 
That man heard this, was convicted, believed, and said, I will obey. You see, that's the work that God wants to do in your heart too. You see, Christ offers to this man who experienced a brokenness because of sin, He offers him forgiveness, healing from his past. And Jesus left that man that day with his past forgiven and a brand new future awaiting him. You see, the reality is we come to Jesus Christ broken. We come to Him uh, with nothing good. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that there is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous uh, is what the Bible also mentions. And so as we come to, come to the Lord, we think, man, I've got all these good things I want to offer you, God. But the reality is that I have nothing in my own. But Jesus said this, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. A woman named Lilius Trotter was originally from London, England. She was a gifted artist. One, she had a potential career uh, path that if she would have chosen to be an artist, she could have taken it and been just as famous as any, of, any other. Many, many art critics saw her work, uh, her early work, and, and really they, they wanted to invest in her training because of the potential they saw in her as an artist. But while she loved art, she also felt a calling from God to reach the lost. She began engaging in this call while in London by going into the streets. And in the late hours of night, she, uh, by herself, she would go out and she would reach out and try to rescue prostitutes off the streets. She also felt a calling to share Jesus with the unreached people groups in Algeria and northern Africa. And so she responded to this call and, would, uh, and she knew that it would come at a great cost. And she went and she laid down her, her budding career as an artist and she went to these different missions agencies. And she said, listen, can I have your support to go to Algeria? God has called me to go there. And they said, we will not support you. We don't have, want anything to do with you. She wasn't deterred though. She knew her call was from God, and she decided still to follow the call of God to Africa and go by herself. She lived among the, the nationals. She, she was hidden in the recesses of the, the desert there for 40 years. And it was there in the desert, forgotten, maybe even abandoned by all others, that Trotter knew what it was like to be stripped from every distraction to focus on the face of Jesus. You see, she laid her life down for one purpose. And while there, she wrote a poem that later inspired the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. This woman, not, not well known maybe to us today in Christendom, maybe not well known to, to people, Lilius Trotter, but I tell you, God knows her. God, God cared about her. God called her and God used her in a mighty way. And those people of Algeria still reap the benefits of her ministry today. And I want to remind you today that sometimes we look at life and we think, man, this is, this is terrible. I, I just can't go on any longer. And maybe to church you come today seeking something that would heal your brokenness. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your life is, is feeling broken. Maybe you, you feel like that crippled man who lies just outside the reach of what it is to have a life whole from the deformities that follow you. And today I remind you that Christ in His love and in compassion has reached out to you. He has desired to look at you and make you new. You see, life sometimes has a way of leaving us feeling robbed, beaten, broken, maybe shattered. But Jesus Christ, when He laid down His life on the cross, through His atoning work on the cross, offers us life 
abundant. It begins, and this healing happens, when you first put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Say, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't get saved on my own. I can't get to heaven on my own works or my own merits or my own abilities. I can't do it on my own, Lord. So, Father, I just come to you as a sinner recognizing that I need a Savior. You see, because the reality is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just certain people, but all men everywhere have this op opportunity to be able to hear, to believe, and to be healed from the brokenness of their sin. That's you and me. January 31st, 1988 was a special day in my life. As a young boy, I remember just, just hearing the message of the, of the gospel in a, mess, in a service just like this, maybe similar uh, in a different location in Ennis, Texas. And as my preacher got done preaching, I just grabbed my daddy's hand and I said, Daddy, I need to be saved. And as he brought me down to the altar, I remember him praying with me and, and, and called upon the Lord to save me. I tell you, it wasn't my dad that saved me. It wasn't that preacher that saved me. It was Jesus Christ that saved me that day. And as Christ came, he came not just to heal a crippled man, but he came to offer the world forgiveness of sin. You see, sin has affected every life, your life and my life. It's caused us to experience problems because of separation from God. We're, uh, and, and as a result, we're doomed to hell without any hope. But Jesus Christ entered the world. He lived perfectly in this life. He laid himself down on the cross. He was, he, and he died. Let me just mention that on the cross. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. He was seen after that point of over 500 men. 500 eyewitness accounts testify the fact that Jesus Christ was seen bodily after that death. Let me tell you, this is not just a, a, a fictitious hope, like I hope I'm going to win the lottery even though I never play. The reality is that this is a real hope, a certain hope, something that I put my confidence in, and I don't have to doubt when I breathe my last. The, 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 the greatest thing is, is that when I breathe my last here, I get to open my eyes and see my Savior. I tell you, God offers that to you today, this kind of assurance, this kind of hope, and it's offered this morning. Jesus Christ says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. And he stands this morning waiting to enter in. Will you let him in? Will you let this healer of all the hurts come into your life? Would you bow your head with me this morning?